The material shared within this podcast is based on the personal experiences and learnings of the presenter. Coloplast has paid the presenter for sharing this information. Nothing within this podcast is intended to be used as medical advice and or used to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to the Coloplast Professional Bowel and Bladder Matters podcast, where we explore important topics related to ostomy and continence. I'm your host, Rick Rayome. I'm a urologic nurse and clinical consultant with Coloplast. Today's podcast guest is Dr. Sarah Diaz Valentin. Dr. Diaz is a urogynecologist and is dual board certified in obstetrics and gynecology and female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgery. She is the medical director of women's health for Reed Health Indiana, where she and her team diagnose and treat complex clinical problems associated with dysfunction of the pelvic floor affecting the bladder, bowels, and reproductive organs of women. Dr. Diaz completed her undergraduate and graduate programs at the University of Puerto Rico, graduated magna cum laude with a bachelor's in general sciences in 1996, graduated with honors from medical school in 2000 and completed OBGYN residency at the University of Puerto Rico Medical Center in 2004. In 2009, she completed her female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgery fellowship, as well as a master's degree in clinical research from the Indiana University School of Medicine, Methodist Hospital. It was here that she also completed postgraduate training in pelvic floor neurophysiology. Dr. Diaz joined the faculty at the University of Louisville in 2009 as an assistant professor and became division director and program director of the Urogynecology Fellowship Program. Dr. Diaz moved to private practice in Indiana in 2012. She is a fellow of the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology and a member of the American Urogynecologic Society and the International Continence Society. Thank you for having me, Rick. Thank you. And I am so excited about this conversation because a lot of folks may not know what a urogynecologist does. I certainly do, but I'm excited to be able to share this information with them. So to set the foundation for our discussion today, can you explain the difference between the role of a urogynecologist versus a gynecologist versus a urologist versus a colorectal specialist in the assessment and treatment of female pelvic health issues? Why I see a urogynecologist, well, the main thing and the main difference between all of these specialists, and maybe we can go a little bit about what each of those specialists do. Um, gynecologists, as you know, do all sorts uh, of things related to the female reproductive health. And of course, they do obstetrics as well. In terms of the urologist, they see males, which is a big difference with our specialty. And then, of course, they treat the upper tracts and conditions related to cancer in the urinary tract. And the colorectals, of course, do everything related to the posterior compartment, including cancer, obstructive defecation, and continence as well. Certainly, there's some overlap with what they do. If you think about urogynecology, it would be essentially the melting pot of all of these specialties in one. When conditions related to all of these different organs and all of these different conditions, you can address them sort of in a one pit stop uh, approach. Well, I do know that a lot of these issues when ladies present with these are really complicated. So it's nice to have a place that it's sort of one-stop shopping for dealing with issues with the pelvic floor and all the things that come with that. 
Can you actually tell us a little bit about your patient population as a Eurogyn? I mean, um, do you see pediatrics, for example? Is it only adult women, certain age groups? What would you say? The patient population for a urogynecologist to see is all across the life spectrum. Uh, we see all ages, and within those ages, there's a spectrum of conditions that affect each of, of them. In terms of how this came about, um, and touching a little bit more on the first question also, it grew organically. It was patient-driven, trying to provide quality of care and address all of these issues at the same time because what was happening is patients were going, any of these, and you can imagine maybe for an older female having to go to three different specialists to then maybe don't address all of their issues or if they needed any type of uh, more invasive intervention, mm -hmm. having to undergo multiple surgeries, clearly it's not in the patient's best interest. That's one of the big components of that is trying to address all of those problems at the same time. And of course, we'll talk about those conditions. You know, it's a challenge sometimes for women to actually report a lot of these symptoms with the pelvic floor or the vaginal area or their bladder or bowel function. And so going to one place to try to get the answers that they need rather than moving around, it takes it takes a lot for them to show up just for to the first provider, much less go to multiple providers to finally get an answer. Does that seem like that's an issue in your patient population that they're concerned about when they come to see you? Absolutely. And sometimes you have to build that relationship. And um, even sometimes just the paperwork they fill out is sort of sets the tone for them to say, oh, by the way, now that you ask, I also have this. And of course, th some of those conditions uh, or some of those visits, I better say, are uh, become a very lengthy visit because it's almost, uh, while I'm here, let me make sure you know also about these things in case this can affect my care. So they actually have, they'll come in in this lengthy history process and things that you do. And again, we're going to talk about that in much more detail in later podcasts, I know, and I'm excited about that. But that is an exploration holistically of that patient, right? You look at everything, not just the pelvic floor. Is that correct? Correct. So if you could, you know, imagine the pelvic floor or, or for those of those that um, have access to a quick picture or pictorial depiction of the pelvic floor, you could see all of the players uh, that are in that area, the bladder, the vagina with its reproductive organs, and then of course the rectum. So they are all neighbors in one very small area that have to coexist. So if one is uh, making a lot of noise, the others are going to be bothered in, to some extent. And that all of those organs are also sitting in the pelvic floor and there's nerves and there are muscles, there's skin even that can mm -hmm. be affected. Um, and that's where it's very important to take all these things into consideration and also look at them from a 3D perspective above sides below and even a posterior approach so that we can make sure that if we ever do an intervention, we will be able to do it in the least damaging, most impactful way to improve this patient's quality of life if you were to do something more invasive. Wow. So I never thought about that in a 3D perspective like that. That's a pretty cool way to reference that. So what are the most common reasons a patient would be referred to your office? 
anything that involves uh, storage or emptying problems from the bladder or the bowel, when we talked about function of those organs, in terms of storage, of course, we're talking incontinence, either urinary incontinence or fecal incontinence. For the voiding part, or actually for the emptying part, um, in terms of urinary domain, you would be thinking about voiding dysfunction um, mm -hmm. or any problems emptying the bladder and also continence of the bladder. So what what's the ability of these patients to retain, uh, actually be continent of urine? In terms of the vagina and the female organs or uterus, cervix, you would be looking at pelvic support of those organs. And you could get to this specialty, which we didn't discuss much before, but a urogynecologist could be OBGYN trained or it mm -hmm. could be urology trained. So those are the two tracks to get into this field. You know, of course, each of our specialties have something to bring to the plate, but the OBGYN site allows you to maybe know a little bit more about the uterine function, menstrual cycle, all of those things. Even the obstetric input, I find that very helpful mm -hmm. when I can take a detailed obstetric history, which especially in younger, fem in younger females, women less than 50, you have to consider the role of that obstetric history and be able to ask those very specific questions. So it does give a different color to how you manage that patient in that would be that part of the female uh, pelvic support. In terms of bowel, we touch base, of course, on storage and emptying. So fecal incontinence and obstructed defecation would be the other part. So that would be mostly based on function and anatomy. Uh, but one very important function that we're forgetting is that of the pelvic floor, coordinating with all these other organs, uh, supporting the structures and also helping control it. And then, of course, in the receiving end, sexual function, it's important as well, and the pain conditions that happen in all of these organs. Those are all the domains that we cover in our specialty. That's a fantastic overview, and I love that you made that distinction between this clinical subspecialty being a part of both uh, OBGYN and urology. I think that's very important. I'll just say my prior uh, life as a uh, clinician before joining Colaplast, uh, I noticed that as I worked with both urologists and urogynecologists, and the, uh, maybe you could speak to how urogynecologists also will tend to take more into account the hormone therapy and how hormones actually impact the urethra and the vaginal health. Can you speak to that? I think one of the uh, barriers to care is getting in. And if a doctor is very familiar with our specialty, they will refer to us. But in other regards, patients also seek care because they know something is not right with my body. And there are certainly things that may impact all of these organs and yet not be able to make the connection. So not just think of your gynecology as a surgical specialty because everybody thinks, oh, I'm, somebody's going to do surgery on me or somebody's going to implant something on me that I don't want. But the reality is that many times it comes into more education about 
listen, the, your tissues are important, how you care for your skin, what you apply to it, what you don't apply to it, the role of the hormones, absolutely estrogen, testosterone, even progesterone, all of that and how that impacts the urinary tract. Because when we were forming in, in the womb, all of these things were put in the stew <laughs> and they are all related. So if mm -hmm. you have a woman that it's postmenopausal and it's atrophic, that impacts the urethra as well. And it will make it less stretchy, less healthy, if you will, uh, less resilient. So more prone to feeling irritation, UTIs or urinary tract infections, and the whole gamma of symptoms that become just a very uh, elusive condition. Correct. Thank you for uh, clarifying all that for us. You know, it's, as we said, very complex. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of interplay between structures and hormone function and nerve function and so on. And you mentioned a lot of symptoms. They sort of fall under this umbrella when we talk about the bladder of, is it a storage issue, a failure to store or a failure to empty or both sometimes with the bladder? And this other umbrella we talk about is LUTs. L-U-T-S, lower urinary tract symptoms. And can you define that for our audience, please? What does that actually mean? What are LUTs when we think about female voiding? The, the most important thing uh, when we talk about patients that come in and describe one of these L-U-T-S or lower <laughs> urinary tract symptoms is avoiding labels, avoiding diagnoses. Sometimes the patient tells me, I have UTIs and I'm receptive to listening to that. But I will say, tell me what you define a UTI as. What makes you say, I need this, I need care. And I try to focus in the symptom. And that's very important because you have to take the patient out of that box that maybe they've been labeled as or they've self-labeled as. And, and that brings you back to structuring this a little bit because, yes, we're emphasizing that this is a difficult, kind of a tough case to tackle. But the reality is if you divide it in compartments and you can really organize the information, you can walk the patient through the journey of coming with you and being receptive, buying in into the education piece of it. So tell me about your symptoms and then in a physical exam, for example, which we will touch base later, let me see the signs and let me get some results. And at that point, you can say, what else do I need? What else am I missing? Do I need imaging? Do I need functional testing? And then come to the realization that this is more likely what you have, while at the same time you're thinking of the rare conditions that could be happening that are deal breakers that you do not want to miss. And maybe they say something that it's a red flag and you say, wait, you should not be urinating bright red blood. That right. is something we got to take pause and target and sort of stratify what's uh, important. Also, very important, it's very easy to get lost as a young physician tackling this. So sometimes mm -hmm. the, gr the gray hair helps to know what is she, why is she here for? What, what does she want to take out of this visit? And one of my first questions in my question years is, what do you want to change in your life? What do you want to improve? And sometimes they'll tell you, I just want to know, is this okay? So the expectation of the patient is as important as what they're telling you. Don't get lost in all the things that they mention, but what do they want to take out of this visit? And that Absolutely. really helps to narrow it down. 
absolutely. I, I can't wait until we get dive into how you actually uh, narrow that down to a specific etiology and root cause for some of those complaints. But as you say, history is kind of a poor predictor of what's going on sometimes because patients will, you know, one person's dribbles, another person's Niagara Falls, for example. So, but I can't wait to talk about that further with you down the road in a future podcast. So you mentioned, I believe that most of these patients are often referred to you. Where do they come from? Where, what's your primary referral source as a urogynecologist? The primary referral source depends on the, the type of setup that you practice in. Ideally, primary care providers would be the number one stop. So if you've been practicing long enough, the primary care provider would be the best person to directly refer to a urogynecologist if they understand your scope of practice. The other big piece for me, and again, as you practice longer, is patient-to-patient referrals. I did surgery on Mrs. Smith, and Mrs. Smith says, hey, you know what? My neighbor, my daughter, and when you come to find out, you end up seeing their whole family for some, uh, for some reason. Also, depending on your practice setup and, you know, the dynamics of healthcare, it could be your own colleague. So um, that's where this, I think this podcast and, and the outreach that we can get is important because patients could avoid certain visits. Maybe they do need to go to a gynecologist. Maybe they do need to go to a urologist, but perhaps they can come straight to us if they were aware. And thank God for the internet. Uh, as many things people say negative, actually some patients Google or, or do any other type of platform uh, internet search and will say, I have this and it pops up and then they can actually self-refer. So primary care doctors, self-referral, other specialists, gynecologists and urologists and even colorectals when they learn the value of our specialty. And then, of course, self-referral um, and patient to patient. That's great information. And are there a lot of urogynecologists? I know we didn't, I didn't plan to ask you that question, but is there one in every town, in every city? I mean, are they hard to find? I would say um, no. Uh, the, the clear answer is no, and the need will only increase. There are some phenomenal gynecologists out there that are doing great work, um, especially in underserved areas and are serving as the urogynecology person there. At some point, there was a grandfathering process that some of those great providers did sit for boards and, and take their specialty training. But if you think about the specialty and how it is certified today, you do need to go through three years of specialized training. If you're an LBGYN, you have to go to two years specialty training if you're a urologist. And the reason is because our base specialty, you know, kind of matters. Um, so you end up with seven years of training to treat wow. these conditions. I wouldn't say that maybe the other person's not doing a good job, but having a three-year specialty does allow you to really be exposed to the amount of pathologies that will uh, give you the breadth of knowledge, the surgical expertise, the skills where it could matter and make a difference. In terms of access to care, no, there's a lot in big cities, very little in the rural areas. And so a lot of these patients have to travel far to get the care that they need, sometimes three, five hours. And if they're very complicated, sometimes they have to even get in a plane and go elsewhere. You know, there's been studies done on this of 
the need in the future, it will only increase significantly because people are, you know, women, thank God, mm-hmm. are living longer. And so if you think of a patient by age 86, uh, which is the life expectancy or 87, by then maybe half of the population will need some sort of an evaluation. So although I argue that it's important to have specialty specialists available, also it's important for every healthcare provider to just know a little bit about this and say, well, maybe I can get this started. And if it doesn't work, I'm going to refer you because I do believe in everyone just being able to open the conversation, talk to the patient mm-hmm. and and address it because it might be the reason why they're there and they're just afraid to talk about it. Thank you for clarifying that. Um, in the last couple minutes that we have, can you tell me a little bit about the resources, the clinical resources that you work with in your practice? Yes, um, nurses, medical assistants, mm-hmm. uh, LPNs, every gamma in the nursing side of things advanced practice providers, nurse practitioners, uh, physician assistants, and then uh, more, not necessarily within the same office, but very important as a good relationship with a pelvic floor physical therapist, because many times you will get them involved in the care of this patient, especially when you're talking about conservative Mm -hmm. or functional type problems. Or I've actually seen in past days, as I mentioned, uh, even a surgical patient may still benefit from pelvic floor rehab and things like that to maintain that foundation in the pelvis and some of those behavioral aspects. And something that is not mentioned enough, believe it or not, the role of industry is important. I would say for my specialty, it is very important, the role of industry in Mm. giving us the tools, facilitating the tools, either, I mean, I use, you can't, I can't even tell you how many brochures of different companies I use that help me provide education or even support, you know, some of the implants that we use, you know, the role of that representative, company representative, it's critical in in helping us have access to the information or to the tools that we need. Dr. Diaz, thank you so much for joining us today for the podcast. This has been a wealth of information. I think a lot of people have learned about the urogynecology specialty. But I can't wait to get into in a future series about how you go about figuring this all out and making your recommendations and how it impacts uh, ultimately patient care and clinical outcomes. So thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Bowel and Bladder Matters podcast, part of Coloplast Professional where we believe clinician education related to ostomies and continence matters. For more educational resources from Coloplast, visit us at coloplast.us professional.